everybody. Welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan Shore, and we're going to talk about that thing you do. Dylan, what is that thing you do? It's on my top 10 favorite films of all time is what it is. And it was made in 1996, written and directed by Tom Hanks, his first film ever trying to write and direct. Maybe is, is it still his only to date? That's No, no, no. He's done Larry Crown as well, which I actually really enjoy. I, every time I rewatch that, I find myself loving it even more. Right on. Well, we'll uh, have to talk about Larry Crown at some point after it's uh, yeah. been viewed by me. Um, but yeah, fucking, I really love this movie. Yeah, I find it super charming and really winning. I I wouldn't put it in my top 10 all-timers, probably. But it's definitely a solid top 100 and an easy programmer and just kind of a anytime, a real solid, like, TBS kind of cable. If it's on, I'm going to end up watching it. I have uh, some criticisms. But we'll get into that and more before we do. Anything else you want to talk about? Have you watched any movies, television, video games, consumed any media, or just, like, looked out the window? Do you want to talk about any of those things? I've definitely looked out the window. I stand on my balcony a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I have three movies. Uh, The first one is Miranda July's new film, Kajillionaire. Yeah. I've only seen one of her films, Me, You, and Everyone We Know. I really enjoy that movie a lot. Uh, She does not star in this one. It's Evan Rachel Wood, uh, uh, Richard Jenkins, uh, and um, um, I'm blanking on her name, Jane the Virgin, Gina Rodriguez. Yeah, there it is. Uh, And it's not a perfect movie. It has a lot to enjoy about it, uh, especially one specific scene in the middle of the film uh, that I thought was like, oh, it, that's the reason to watch this movie. That was everything. One of the best scenes I've seen in a long time, actually. But overall, the movie was just not perfect for me. Uh, but I do, I would recommend a watch. Right on. Like, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, it's... Um interesting kind of review because it's been a lot higher on a lot of critics lists you know some people have really been very high on that movie so uh, the the kind of tepid review is an interesting take curious and curious what else you got uh the next one is a horror film from the writer and director of the strangers and he made this one for shutter like the horror uh movie website the streaming and it's called, app, if you will. The streaming app, yeah. It's not on there until February, I think, of 2021. But you can rent it on Amazon or iTunes, probably. Interesting. And, like, this one also has a lot of high praise. And as it should, because it's, it's gorgeous looking. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's not really scary the trailer makes it feel like it's going to be much more terrifying um the actors are they're good but they're not great but i think that 
added to why I liked it a little more because I've never really seen them. So I just placed them into this story. So that, that was kind of nice. And I forgave the acting, some acting choices, but uh, still worth a watch. Cause I was really impressed with the cinematography. Right on. It's called dark and the wicked. I don't know if I said the title. I don't think you did. No, the dark and the wicked, the shutter yep. original. Yep. And then the last one is moved on to my top 10 of the year. And it's um, the film Black Bear with Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott. Okay. Have you not heard of this? I, I've, it's like tingling my brain because I'm remembering an Aubrey Plaza project that people were into, but the title is not something I was familiar with. Yeah, Black Bear. Right Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. We were talking earlier before we started doing the podcast about tension uh, in a certain movie. <laughs> this Black Bear has tension. Okay. Like, uh, oh man, I was, it was uncomfortable. The dialogue was so good, man. Oh, it's solid, solid stuff. And Aubrey Plaza, like I've liked her. I've never, I never cared for like Parks and Recs or anything, but I love uh, the that stuff. I've seen her, the movies I've seen her in, like I really like. Uh, Ingrid Goes West was Chucky? one of my favorites. What'd you say? What'd you think of her in Chucky? I so child play twenty nineteen. Yeah, I have an issue with that child's play just because I love Don Mancini. Like, yeah. what the fuck? It. it it's his story. Why are you guys going to start a whole spinoff? I don't, I didn't understand that, but I actually enjoyed it. There is a lot of stuff I liked in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really solid for what it is. I also was sort of like, well, I'm not done with this world of like Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. And... Oh, dude, did you watch Cult of Chucky? Yeah, oh yeah, I loved it. Oh my God, it's so good. It's, it's a blast. so good. And uh, Brad Dorff's daughter, Oh, that's her. That's her. The main girl okay. who is in sure. Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. Sure. That's Brad Dorf's daughter. So when, spoiler alert for Cult of Chucky, but when Chucky transfers into her at the end, <laughs> she's impersonating her dad. And it's uh, so good, dude. I watched that ending scene so many times when Jennifer Tilly picks her up from the hospital at the end she's just mimicking her dad and his whole cadence she's got the hair she's even got his look it's so good i love that don mancini dude like props yeah might be one of the best chucky movies actually i really like bride of chucky but i think cult of chucky is the best one I, there's an argument to be made there. They, honestly, it kind of depends on like the day. It, I really like fair, all of those fair. latter day ones. Um, but at any rate, I, Chucky is actually really funny too. Yeah, like that one. But I fucking love it. It's weird and gross, and yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel all of the same ways. Um, so <laughs> we don't need to just go around in a circle with that. But the the newer one, I fought with, you know mostly enjoyable i do remember and i forgive me for not being able to pin down the details but i remember feeling like well why does the doll need to be like that or you know like who is this toy for in this day and age kind of thing like the that general conceit of let's make chucky an app sort of didn't quite control it through the app thing yeah but i don't know that 
for what it was, I really had a blast with it. And more to the point, Aubrey Plaza is, I, I really enjoyed her in that film, but I also really liked her in Parks and Rec and, you know, was it Ingrid and the Instagram or oh. whatever the fuck? So if you, like, Ingrid Goes West to me was her best role by far. She gave just an outstanding performance. Right. Black Bear takes it up a hundredfold and she gives one of the best performances of the year. And if she is not nominated, she's definitely going to get nominated for like a Spirit Award yeah. or like a SAG Award. But it, the, the standards for the Academy have changed this year. And if they seriously do not look at Aubrey Plaza for this role, they are severely misstepping their boundaries. Like they need to look harder. It is fascinating. It's terrifying. It's tension riddled. The dialogue is great. It's directed, it's directed quickly. Uh, and like, this doesn't give anything away. Actually, I'm not even gonna say it. Just watch it. It's so good. Right on. We'll leave it there. You're really selling it, man. Black Bear sounds super good. Like, give them your money. Rent it. If you can rent it on anything, give them the fucking six, seven bucks that it is to rent it, because it's amazing. Right on. Yeah, support yeah. filmmakers. How about you? Um, not a ton. I've been just kind of pounding through Christmas movies, mostly. Um, a couple that I'll talk about. Um... Trapped in Paradise. I think this might have been the first time that I had seen that one. Oh, uh, that's so weird. My buddy texted me yesterday going, have you seen Trapped in Paradise? And I was like, no, but I know of it. I've just never seen it. It doesn't have like the greatest of reviews and wasn't around me as a kid to see it. But I've always been curious of it because I love the three. <laughs> yeah, it's a like weird video. Like, the fact that Nicolas Cage is rounding out the cast or heading the cast more appropriately make sort of simultaneously elevates the movie and derails it because it's John Lovitz and well and not just in the typical Nick Cage way but it, it feels like because of the rest of the cast with John Lovitz and Dana Carvey that this should be a Lauren Michaels movie but because it's Nick Cage at kind of the height of his powers you know in the early 90s there's a lot it's of pathos in it with that it's a 90s movie yeah it's like 93 or 94 or something like that oh yeah 94 okay so he's bringing a lot of pathos to it and I, it just is it's you know i don't want to say slight but there's not much to it it's a heist thing and then they get trapped in the town and then the, because it's Christmas Eve, the town warms their hearts for various reasons. And Dana Carvey is doing kind of a weird affectation. And you're not mm -hmm. sure if it's a bit or if he's like trying to act because he's in a Nicolas Cage movie all of a sudden. Or if he's doing like... Is it like it's truly a weird voice? Like, yeah, like yeah. Like a the whole way. disguise type of voice? Yeah, yeah, like a... Oh, yeah, like I'm doing a high-pitched kind of, uh, I'm an East Coast guy. Uh, I'm really soft-spoken. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so, it, but is it worth the watch? Absolutely, 100%. I found it really charming. It even, it, so like, the ways that it doesn't quite come together are all things that endeared me to it. You know, I... I was like, oh, that's weird that Dana Carvey is sustaining this accent for a whole movie. 
oh, it's weird that John Lovitz is in this movie, and that's kind of the extent of the bit. You know what I mean? Like, mostly it's it's straightforward. I'd, I'd be interested to hear an oral history of how this movie came together, or what the... Anyways, so it, it's a kind of a curiosity, but I genuinely enjoyed it. All right. Huh. I'm, I, I'm curious to watch it. Maybe I'll watch it before Christmas. Yeah, give it a go. And then the other one, uh, since we're still on Christmas mode, is I watched Santa Claus the Movie from 1985. Never seen it. I, I know of it, and I, I know the cover, but I've never seen it. If you're into, like, set design and practical effects and costumes and stuff, and, again, just weirdness, it's a strange movie because of the kind of reverent... I mean, obviously, you're going to treat Santa Claus with reverence, but because it's cheap, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's real low budge, but, like, a wonder of low budge budget and everybody's taking it very earnestly so again just kind of a mishmash of like oh it's a little uncomfortable because nobody's quite pulling it off but you just you're rooting so hard for it because it's on screen every scent is on screen the whole movie long (coughs) so so you're saying like all the money went to set design and even though it was such a low low budget the set design doesn't look good, but it looks good for what they had and could do. Even just a step beyond that, like the set design at points looks really good. Let's Um, play a fun game real quick. What do you think the budget is for it? Oh, man. Um, I would not at all be surprised if it was like maybe even a made-for-TV movie but I mean, certainly fewer than five. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was less than a million, you know, like in the hundreds of thousands. Dude, dude, this is nuts. This is nuts. No way. 30 to $50 million. And it was, it made in the box office 23.7. 30 to $50 million. I mean, it must have had a cocaine budget. Like, even the poster of this is not worthy of 30 to $50 million movie. Is that adjusted, like, today? Uh, I'm sure, no, I'm sure that was made at the time. Like, if it, I'm sure the 30 to 50 is including marketing and uh, promotional shit as well. Even still, it, so it was produced by a big company too for the time. It was TriStar Pictures. Yeah, and I mean, it it has that studio vibe. Like you really can tell that the there's work going into the sets. I would be hard pressed to see even fifteen million dollars on screen. But some of the effects were harder back then, I guess. There's I, it's the so to circle back to the original point, the set. To, design looks really pretty good but the like the makeup is really cheap the beards are so glued on that you know the and the uh, the elf ears in some scenes are definitely cardboard (laughs) you know Uh but anyways it it just is like uh surreal i want to watch this too but luscious to look at. It's really something to behold. 
So I would Roger say Ebert, yours and Roger Ebert's review is kind of selling me on it because he's literally saying the exact same things that you're saying, but he goes on to a little more. He's like, hey, also had some praise for Lithgow. Nice. Oh, Lithgow is the reason to watch the movie. He plays like an evil toy villain guy. He's like stealing Christmas as a human Grinch capitalist figure. And he's a blast. He's wearing fake teeth and he's like doing a Richard Nixon impression. So he's super jowly and everything he says. Yeah, I kind of want to watch this. It's, Lithgow, if you're looking for a reason to watch it, Lithgow is it. But I also love Dudley Moore, though, too. So, <laughs> yeah, Dudley Moore is not the reason to watch it, just because okay. he's kind of like just being abused, you know what I mean? Or like show, yeah. like popping into scenes to be Dudley Moore. Uh, eh. um, I do have one more th- movie to add that I did watch, uh, just because we did the Santa Claus podcast. So I went on and watched two and three. I had never seen three before. Um, But what I realized watching them so close together is that none of the movies have plots. Like all the exact, the plot, I'm really for the third one. The third one legit has no story up until the third act when they, he pulls out the escape clause card. And that's the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And the, before that, it's just, oh, we got to make sure Alan Arkin and fucking Sophia Loren are, they don't know it's, they don't, they, they have to think it's They think this is an actual toy company because yeah. Scott Kelvin is a toy company executive. And that's the whole fucking plot of the third one. And I was like, dude, when does this thing start? Because I watched the trailer before and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of interested because I want to see them go back to that moment in the first one. And right. it didn't happen until the last 30 minutes. Yeah, you get a little bit of fun and games with Martin Short kind of like announcing his desire to steal Christmas or whatever, but... Why is Jack Frost a fucking mythical character? Though? Where was he in number two at the table? Why is there a council of mythical characters? Yeah, I know. That's two? nuts. Why is any of it? It's... Kevin Pollock is the fucking Cupid. Speaking of Kevin Pollock... <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking uh, Boss Vikas. What is Boss? it, right? Bo- yeah. uh... <laughs> you said his name correctly. Wow, I love that we were able to bring it back. That's incredible. Man, so this is a top 10. Is it like the top half of top 10? Is it number one? No, no, no. It's probably number 10. Like, I, here's the reason why. Okay. Ever since I saw this as a kid, I have no joke watched this movie multiple times a year. I've watched this movie three times this year already. So I was like, oh, I'm going to, yeah, I love this movie, dude. I played the soundtrack. I play the soundtrack just to play the soundtrack because I love it so much. I will walk around my apartment just going, darkness falls and the night's begun. 
bright as the sun and then my roommate because he loves it too he'll pop out and be like under the waning moon like, there's danger to be found i was like yes you get it <laughs> what was that guy's name at the downtown what is it uh freddie frederickson there it is he wrote the theme song to mr downtown which is like a cop show in the right. universe Oh, so good. Um, okay, so let's uh, start this off. It's 1964. Guy Patterson is uh, a drummer, uh, specifically a jazz drummer. And he works at his family's appliance store called Patterson's. And he knows a group of guys that are in a band. And <clears throat> uh, their drummer, Giovanni Ribisi, breaks his arm. Okay, and now Dylan, instead of going beat for beat through the plot, can you go line for line through the dialogue? I can do a lot, yeah. Start. Um, well, I mean, it starts with fucking, you're my friend in the fall and spring, you're my friend in the summertime queen, you're my friend, you're my girl and I'm your guy, you got me all tied up in knots. And I'm loving you lots and lots. I'm just loving you lots and lots. I'm just loving you lots and lots. Let's uh, the music because we have to... started there already uh, between you and your your roommate and me and you harmonizing. The music is so fucking good in this movie. So good. The title song deserves a lot of credit, and they do something I think really clever with the song throughout, which is that we get. Every time they play a concert, we get like a verse of the song, right? And this is one of those really kind of like tight as a drum script. So when he's introing the song to, is it Shades? He's like, oh yeah, it's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, outro, chorus, you know, just real standard pop <laughs> breakdown. But he tells us what we're going to see and they, you know, back to the music it's so good and what's the other song that they do that uh it's the one other song that they perform on stage is really good come too. on pretty baby yeah put your little hand in mine tell yeah. everyone in Philadelphia. uh that one is called uh, dance with me tonight that's a good song yeah uh they're I love all the songs and Adam uh, Schlesinger. Yeah, we got to talk about it. It's hard for me to say. Uh, Rest in peace, man. Thank you so much for contributing everything you did to this fucking album. I love it so much. And the wider career, like his... his, um, Oh, yeah, Fountains of Wayne and everything. Yeah, and I'm also a real big fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That show was a blast. (laughs) <laughs> but but largely because of the music the music in crazy ex-girlfriend is so good fucking adam man and adam schlesinger is a really big part of that so yes. yeah, i'm really grateful that i got to be a, a, a movie fan and a tv nerd in the time when mm-hmm. he was a, a creative force because the music's so goddamn good and the performances of the music this are still fun to watch. They're really fun to watch and they're convincing, right? There's a lot of shitty, like, uh, slapping the guitar kind of performances. I think yeah. we're at a point in cinema now where we 
at least a movie of any sort of prestige, we don't accept that anymore, right? Like Bradley yeah. Cooper had to learn how to do some shit, and so did yeah. He had. I mean, I mean they learned Isaac how to the play. They learned how to play all the songs on the instruments, but um, the actor that plays Jimmy, uh, Jonathan. Shake? Shake? Is it Shake? I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. But uh, he did not sing. But when they did the table read before they started shooting, whenever it came time for a song, they knew how to play it. And so Tom would, as soon as the song starts in the script, he would have them go to a little stage in the warehouse where they were doing the table read and play the song while they would read the piece of the script. I mean, I mean, I suppose you'd almost have to do it that way for pacing. Otherwise, I mean, if you're not going to make them do it, you have to play the song, right? But yeah. it's nice to get them to do it because they feel like a band. They, mm-hmm. they feel rehearsed. They feel like competent musicians. Especially Guy Patterson. Yeah, Guy Patterson. Guy Patterson brings them to what they become. Like, if it wasn't for him just feeling that moment of one, two, three, and he just starts going, none of that would have happened. No. So that sort of calls to mind one of the problems with this movie. No problems. No, no real (laughs) problems. Like I said, the the script is tight as a drum. It's all there, but it's just a little director cut. Uh, the cut I watched was 2.30, like 2.27. Okay. Um, yeah, the, which motivation is squishy, and even if it, like, made sense throughout the movie, like, if we could track that arc narratively, Mm -hmm. it would still be kind of crappy right because it starts from this place his whole like his main thing is just like play it slower right mm-hmm. oh jimmy yes jimmy yeah, yeah. sorry i think i said jimmy yeah no i think it just kind of cut out in the connection exactly. uh um yeah yeah because yeah, he wants to keep it a love ballad right and i think that speaks to what his actual motivation is which is like the self-centered you know the the me focus thing he can't yeah, handle yeah, yeah. it he's not the the center of the thing and i want that to play a little stronger and hmm. I think okay the reason that it doesn't is because tom hanks isn't sure which character he is like we all know that he's shades but tom hanks the writer director also identifies with jimmy is my suspicion yeah, yeah. identifies with a little bit of everyone yeah, he's a and little Steve's on. He's a little bass player. He's, Ethan Embry. Yeah, Ethan Embry. Who I want to get to Ethan Embry. Um, yes, and Steve's on. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the fact that the the polarity of these two characters is not real extended, that they're kind of both a little in the middle of the spectrum, leaves me feeling a little like listless you know i think it could do with a little more pull there Hmm. so um the the cut you saw the director's cut you saw the relationship between tom hanks and howie long and 
that he is a gay man. So that's all cut from the theatrical cut. There's a lot of Charlie's Theron that is cut from the first half of the movie. But they add a solid 35, 40 minutes of movie, I think. Yeah, and you know what? And it's Those fun to watch all... if you love the movie. Yeah, um, and if... I, I, but I do love the movie, and those are all good cuts. If only, oh, yeah, they make the movie much stronger, right? Because they're dangling threads. The Charlize Theron is another, like I think, a legit criticism. And I wonder now. I want to go back and watch the theatrical cut because she's in a lot of this movie in the first half of this movie, and then is just not at all in the second half of this yeah. movie. There's a line that references her at one point, like, oh, didn't she, uh, her Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler talks to Shades about it, but she's- Tina. T right, Tina never comes up again. And she's great, by the way. Charlize Theron is having a blast in here. But she's also like not really in love with Guy. She's also gonna leave him for the dentist that she's seen. And the last shot is her in the dentist chair getting her mouth done and the song comes on the radio and she's like yeah. and that's the last time you get to see her <laughs> yeah no i like that i do i really like that but there's so much of her up front that she's basically a main character in the movie yeah and then but the actual cut movie. makes it perfect that yeah, it really lines up that story okay yeah, like there's no like it, um, after they first play, you kind of see them cross and the cars in the middle of the road and they're talking. Uh, that part does, a piece of it happens, but not uh, a lot of it. And then they go back to Guy's house and they're on the couch for a while. They're talking, listening to records, making out. That's not in it at all. And I, that's a, I like that scene because I think they're both great actors and it's fun writing, but it doesn't service the movie. And the theatrical cut, to me, is a really strong hour and 40-minute movie. Does the theatrical cut... So the other... Similarly, another big double beat this movie does is the climax with Shades and Liv Tyler, where he goes into the diner and then walks out of the diner and then decides to chase her down anyway. And, like you know, okay, maybe that's like our running to the airport kind of thing. She's going for the cab, I guess. But the, it's the fact that that happens twice in a row, like literally that's, those script pages are back to back. They're in the diner. He says no. He turns around and then says yes with no, I, I don't know why we need to go back out there just to see Obey Babatunde mug to the fourth wall at the end of it i i think the deal is is that the director's cut is too long and leaves some strings hanging mm -hmm. because the first half of this movie i was so on board for and this tone of like if if this movie was like just under i actually said it before we started watching it my wife sat and watched it with me um, I was like, oh, we might have to get this thing started because it's probably around two hours. And I pulled it up. I was like, two thirty. What the fuck? No, I yeah. like this movie, but I would give it like two ten, being generous. Two thirty is not uh, reasonable. No, that that should just be called like a, the fan cut because, <laughs> yeah. because like yeah, it's the not even like a director's cut because I'm sure Tom 
that cut he put into theaters is the cut he wanted you to see. It's just got so much love over the years. He's like, well, here's shit that I cut from it if you want to see what it is. It should be called, like, the first cut. Yeah, <laughs> like the, totally, the editor totally. cut or something. The assembly cut. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, no, that all tracks. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, actually, because it, it solves uh, basically all the issues that I have for me. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. well, maybe this is a perfect movie, actually. Yeah, I'm curious what, like, if you did watch the theatrical cut, you should just put it on in the background, and I bet you would be able to hear the pacing just goes by so much faster. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, fucking, let's talk about, um, let's start down the line. Tom Everett Scott is really good in this movie. I've only seen him in maybe, like, six things in total uh, of his career. Like this, American Werewolf in Paris, right. One True Thing. Uh, he has that brief cameo in La La Land. Okay. Um, but, like, I, I always like him. I just wish I could see him in more. Maybe I more like I him, too. Here is a thing, though, that I disagree with you about. Oh. Yeah, yeah. no, I actually, I don't think he's very good in this. I think he's like a, a surprisingly good drummer and at times a very charming dude, but he's kind of like, I th expect him to be wiping drool from his lip through most of this movie. And I don't know if that's the performance or his face, but I don't know. I don't know. He also is like, I mean, you called it out. He's got a handful of credits and there was a point where I think he was a rising star Mm -hmm. but he's not up to the task of these performers. I think this might have been his, like, first big movie. And, the, like, Tom Hanks, when casting was happening, he didn't want him. And uh, and he didn't really know why. He just, like, I, I, I don't know why. He's good, but I just, I don't want him. And then his wife, Rita Wilson... I think Tom said he was like in the shower or something and he comes out and Rita is watching all of the audition tapes and it was on Tom Everett Scott's one. And she was like, I really fucking like this guy. And uh, he's like, really? I just don't think I can cast him. And she's like, why? He's so good. And, and she pointed it out. She's like, you don't want to cast him because he looks like you and he is you. You wrote him as you. And he was like, really? Oh, yeah, I guess that might be it. And for her saying that, he was like, I guess that means I have to cast him. That's the problem right there, though, is that he's not Tom Hanks. And this movie, this performance, this script is full of things that Tom Hanks can pull off. Just but Tom Hanks is already in the movie. Right, but... Right. And he's not... Whatever. But... <laughs> Shades, Shades needs to be Tom Hanks in Biggs. You know, unfortunately, we need to time map this thing backwards because he did write it for himself. It would be yeah. crazy giving that, that casting is really strong because he can convey the Hanks vibe. Mm -hmm. But Hanks is like a, um, like a fondue or a, you know, like a, uh, he's a really light balance of things. And you don't necessarily know like what's happening to you well it's happening to you when hanks is doing it and when this fella here shades tom oh, ever scott is doing it it feels like a hanks impersonation that's never landing for me 
Hmm. Okay. And like I said, that comes in the smaller moments where he's trying to transition in tone, right? And do like the fast talking thing of like, oh yeah, I love my dad, but I also hate my job. And nobody throws away a line like Tom Hanks. And certainly yeah. Tom Everett Scott does not throw away a line like Tom Hanks. Yeah, no, you actually did a good cadence of him doing that because it's like uh, Jimmy wanted to play it fast, but I, or Jimmy wanted to play it slow, but I thought it should be fast, so I played it fast. <laughs> and man, Hanks would murder that. Yeah, but I, I guess he would, but I think TES, Tom Everett Scott, nailed it. I think he's really good. He's very... He's easy to watch. Like he's a charming. He's he's, he's he's got a lot going on. Like yeah. I think it is his first movie. I think. Let's take a look. Let's yeah. talk, let's go deep on 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 the TES just a real quick, not not deep deep. Yeah, it's his first feature. Fucking I I mean I really like Dead Man on Campus. Uh, oh yeah, we're getting to that. That's a few <laughs> years after. Like, all of the Snowbud movies and like Santa Paws. He's in a bunch of talking dog movies for like hey, 10 man, years. Let him make money. You did good on you. No, I would too, for sure. Uh, and then uh, kind of a stock TV actor, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. His little uh, turn on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and you kind of name it. He's got three episode arcs, six episode arcs on like all of these oh, yeah a lot of tv shows yeah sort of lesser golden age um okay fucking a so he's uh, working and you know he deserves the credit he is really watchable and really enjoyable and so i guess that's not necessarily a fair criticism of him in this movie as much as it is my viewing habits because i'm just like be tom hanks <laughs> stop it <laughs> no tom hanks is mr white Let's talk about Steve Zahn, because he oh, yeah. is one of the reasons this movie works so well, especially early on. Uh, I think I can quote every Steve line, <laughs> Steve Zahn line in this movie. There are so many good ones. So many. Like, oh, man. All around, you know, he's one of those dudes that, what's the <laughs> Rick Dalton meme, you know, where I just like sit forward. I'm like, oh, Steve Zahn is here. I'm pointing <laughs> yeah. at the TV. Yes, <laughs> this is going to rule. And so I'm always happy to see him show up. But here he was, I think he's mostly doing his Zahn thing, but everybody is so just like earnest and winning. That's one of the successes of this movie. I'll get back to Zahn, but at a high level, the fact that they never get cool throughout this thing, that they are just, they just stay um, the same. They don't, it's not even that they stay the same. It's that their change isn't to being rock stars, right? Because they're one hit wonders ultimately. Yeah. But the, they're just so impressed by everything that they see from yeah. the beginning to the end of this movie. And I, I really adore well, that. It, it, it. Like everything does come to a head super quick. Like they're only together for six months. Like they're doing all those tours at the fairs. And then they get to go to LA and I think that's like, they're there for like three days, maybe a week or something. Yeah, and you gotta get out of the hotel that afternoon. Hold in on itself. Yeah, so, but because of that timeline, Steve Zahn's energy really helped sell this thing. And so oh, oh, yeah. we talked about it earlier when the first cadence 
pickup happens. You know, when they first go up in tempo, that scene, there's like six close-ups of Steve Zahn's face in that yeah. sequence. And yeah. it's him and like increasingly it smile. Yeah, it's not perfect either. Like he's trying to play the song faster and it's like, <laughs> it's so good. And I want, uh, let's talk about that scene real quick, the talent show. Um, the host of the talent show, when that the one that one guy that's in like every fucking movie, that one extra that they're fan, they're, they're fan. fan. Who is he that? So much shit. Um, yes, I'm trying to find his name right now. No, keep making your point. I'll look it okay, up. Okay, okay. Uh, so he's he's just ha uh, harassing the host. He's like, I oh, eat my shorts, and the <laughs> the host loses his shit he goes hey shut up and he gets the, his the like high pitch he hits and the squeak and it's one of the best moments it's so good and then they just turn back to intro the band yeah. it's so uncomfortable and so funny and so like evocative of you know a, a band in a van <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out what they are doing uh, the uh, gentleman's name is Sean Whalen, and Sean Whalen. He's my recommend from things like, oh, I don't know, Jury Duty. Oh, he's in Twister. Yeah, of course. He's the, uh, you, you always, uh, why are there creases through the map? Right. I didn't roll the maps. Fo uh, roll, or I didn't roll. fold the maps. Roll, roll the maps. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a funny, funny man, and he's in a ton of funny, funny things. Uh, so I said I wanted to talk about Ethan Embry, and since we're doing cast stuff, now might be the time for him. Um, I always really like Ethan Embry. He's got that kind of special like variety of weird. And we should point out that including Giovanni Ribisi, with Ethan Embry, Tom Everett Scott's not a super usual looking dude, and neither is Steve Zahn. And Jimmy is like so aggressively handsome he's kind of hard to look at uh -huh. it's just like a, a interesting collection of character actors cast in this movie that i i'm i don't know it's really cool man tom hanks has he put something together here anyways he and i love that ethan Embry, like he wasn't supposed to be like a big part of, of the movie that's why he's only named the bass player but they oh. loved him so much they kept him around and kept him in more scenes he just doesn't have dialogue in those scenes he's credited as tv player tv player uh he, he's always like a kind of a manic weirdo and he definitely is here but he feels restrained in a way that he doesn't usually or not until later day Embry. you know yeah, uh, uh, fucking, uh, I told you about the time I got to meet him, right? I think you did. Yeah, fucking, look at that bad bitch right there. <laughs> I just want to make two that I'm talking about you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let him know. No, uh, but yeah, he's a very cool dude. Fucking love him in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, and then, I mean, beyond the uh, main cast, this thing's just full of character actors. And, I mean, Brian Cranston shows up at one point. As Gus, uh, what is it, Gus something? Yeah, Virgil, Gus. Uh, Gus Grissom. 
Grissom. That's right. The um, astronaut. astronaut. Yeah, he makes him call. Anyways, but the dude I really want to talk about is Alex Rocco. Is <laughs> like, what, you know, Tom Hanks' boss, Sil Silo. So the... Uh, uh, Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. Sullivan. Dude, the, that thing that he does with the sandwich... Oh, so gross. All the just like mustard, just and meat and God, now that's a sandwich. With his fingers? Yeah, so gross, dude. What is happening? That feels so specifically weird that you know Tom Hanks witnessed that at some yeah. meeting and was yep. just like, well, someday I will tell a story about this after that man uh, dies. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite scenes is. Wait, we're not uh, moving. Yeah, past this. Oh, we're have not moving past the, the mustard. Sorry. No. Have you ever made a sandwich like that? Not once. I, I even have... I hate when I get mustard on my fingers. <laughs> I feel like I want to experience the depths of heathen experience that is. No, I, that's like Costanza level. <laughs> <laughs> my God. All right, we can move on from the sandwich. Oh, so gross. And he gets mad at Jimmy. Also, that dude is um, Alex Rocco is the voice of, like, well, he does a lot of work on The Simpsons, but he's the studio boss at uh, Itchy and Scratchy Studios. Uh-huh. Fucking A. Also, Clint Howard always deserves a shout out. That's the scene I was going to talk about. I love that scene. And <laughs> he asks, the guy's like, what are the artists that like popped your cherry? Yeah. And Guy Patterson says, Del Paxton, who comes up later on. And <laughs> what does uh, Henry say? He says the Chanterlings because <laughs> he slept with the lead or one of the singers of the Chanterlings who popped his cherry. Such a brilliant line. And then Steve Zahn goes, uh, Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters, <laughs> right. which is the <laughs> fake band they are in that surf movie. Yeah. Do you know who's directing that surf movie? It's uh, Jonathan Demi. It's Jonathan Demi. Yeah, who produced the movie. Yeah, so you, you got to assume that <laughs> those two were sitting around the set <laughs> of Philadelphia just trying to lighten the mood. Like, right. hey guys, remember pop songs from the 60s instead yeah. of dying from AIDS? Yep. How about I put you in the scene of Weekend at Party Pier and Captain Beach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters are playing and Goofball comes up to Anita and is like, (laughs) we're being invaded. (laughs) Um, The only other one I really want to draw attention to, actually there's uh, two, Colin Hanks, this might have to be his first uh, credit, right? Little cameo in there, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the other one is Holmes Osborne, who is just so good at playing a dad, man. Always. He's uh, very funny. Uh, the, <laughs> the daughter is like, uh, he's like, honey, I'm getting you, uh, you're, you're moving to the floor or something. She's like, does that mean I'm getting a raise? And he's like, I didn't say that. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, the other moment I love from her is when they first hear the song on the radio. And that whole sequence is just so explosive. And yes. energetic, but Steve Zahn is next to her and grabs the standee. Yeah. And kisses her. <laughs> and she's like bummed out a little bit. Uh, there's 
there's she's a so, she has a moment this so i just kind of want to say something high level which is that they kind of they don't make movies like this anymore because everybody has a moment everybody has an arc and i think that's why the director's cut fails a little bit is because it, it loses sight of some of those arcs and gives uh -huh. too many moments to some of these people but just a little splash of like everybody's a person everybody has an interest here and the Ah, it's so winning and just fun. I love it this is. movie. There's a great moment from Ethan Embry when uh, uh, him and Faye are listening to the song for the first time and they're running and they go to the, the store and when they open the doors, Faye just runs in. But if you watch the bass player, he is so excited but he decides to wipe his shoes off on the mat before entering the store and it's so subtle it happens in the background it's so funny i recommend just going back to that moment and just watching him clean his feet before he joins the group for excitement it's so funny looking <laughs> adorable yeah just that this movie's amazing everyone needs to watch it uh the music is incredible like truly every song. Truly every yeah. song. Um, I don't have much more to add either. It's, I know I'm watching a good movie when I stop taking notes, when I'm just like, oh, I'm just in this thing. I can't even, it's all perfect. What, what am I, I'll write down perfect 27 times. <laughs> so I also don't, I don't have a lot of notes. Like I said, I, I have to do those big kind of structural things that we talked about, but I think they are kind of artifacts of this longer cut and that theatrical release probably hums. Yep. And um, I'm going to say one thing. I hope one day that I could be a part of the galaxy of Playtone artists. Or it's the Playtone of stars. Is that what it is? The galaxy of Playtone stars. stars. Galaxy of Playtone stars. Yeah. yeah. There we go. It's that it's, he's doing the universal thing, right? uh i mean i don't know i, I don't know probably i'll make one more point which is part of the reason that it is so loving is because it's so enamored with that era of entertainment and it is speaking mostly about music but it's really a love letter to that energy for sure mm -hmm. and, and you can tell writing this he he loves all these characters that he has written each one yeah. has a piece of him probably they're they're each their own individual people. I love that. I love that a lot. And I love each of them. I love this yeah. movie. We didn't even talk about Liv Tyler, but th there's nothing to say. She's flawless. She's, she, to me, well, she's good. This is my favorite role she's it. ever done. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm generally not a fan of Liv Tyler. Me, me either but besides like lord of the rings and lord of the rings uh, he's great in and this is who's i have a similar take were we talking about uh uh daryl hannah no no you did mention daryl hannah but i think Liv tyler's definitely a little little more i could i see i've seen more of Liv tyler i haven't seen much of daryl hannah fair enough the point being made is that Liv tyler is great in the Lord of the Rings movies because she's being called upon to be like an ethereal figure, like not an actual even living creature. 
she's a, a spirit, a, a yeah, yeah. separate kind of entity, right? Um, and so her <laughs> sort of eerily good looks and weirdly flat demeanor are served really well when she has to be a robot. See Daryl Hannah. But when mm. she has to be a human being, it can be really challenging for me. And there was a point in this movie where I said, and it's, I think it's when she's given the speech to Jimmy, where I just, I said out loud, just like, oh, that's enough, Liv Tyler. Because everything that she ever delivers is like this. And she can only kind of do this thing like this when she's expressing emotion with her mouth. And I can't understand what the fuck she's saying. And her eyes are really acting, right? Yeah, they're very expressive. Giving me a lot. But her mouth just will not express even the words that she's saying. And I am also really guilty of this, of like putting my hand in front of my mouth when I'm not sure of what I'm doing in a conversation mm-hmm. and still trying to talk anyway. So I think that's a choice that she relies on because she can convey this sort of insecurity, right? Or like yeah. um, naivety. So somebody who's out of her depth a lot are the characters that she plays. And just yeah. that, that specific quirk of, of, the, of not opening her mouth enough to speak makes me fucking crazy. And you can get away with it in a movie technically because the big screen is about small moments, but acting is about communicating. And if I don't know what the fuck you're saying, Christopher Nolan, your movie sucks. Tenet's so, awesome, dude. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Like I said, I've I'm still on no new movie embargo until 2021, but... Oh, man. I've seen it three times. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again. Uh, but uh, I'm going to say... I, I really like her in this movie, and I really like her in The Strangers, which is kind of similar to what she's doing here, although it it becomes bigger because of the situation sure. that they're under. And then I'm going to say the one movie where I think she doesn't do that, because she does do that whole talk through her mouth like this and expresses with her eyes, Jersey Girl. Kevin Smith's Jersey Girl. She played, like, people shit on that movie. I think that movie is very sweet. And it, I think it got so much heat because it was in the fucking height of Ben, Benifer, Ben Affleck and Jennifer uh, Lopez being in a, in a relationship. And the fact that they were going to be in a movie together, people were already judging the movie before it even came out. And then they broke up before the movie came out. I'm sorry, I'm distracted by the idea of because he's done Ben and Jennifer a couple of different times. So I was <laughs> thinking that when he got together with Jennifer Garner, they should have called themselves Barner. Well, he's never, he's only acted with Jennifer Garner. He never made a movie with her. And I'm pretty sure she's the, one of the big reasons why they kind of stopped being friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they are now friends again after he got a divorce. I don't care about any of that. Yeah, uh, but uh, back to Liv Tyler and Jersey Girl. She's so, she doesn't do any of that just talking low through her mouth. It's very, that character is very like cheery and <laughs> trying to get him out of his shell. There's this moment, like, I mean, we've talked about it already, but her running down the street 
when the song comes on the radio yeah is, so good like that might be like for moments you know that might be a top 10 cinema moment for me it, it just is like oh my god i want to i'm running with them i want to high five the screen yeah and dude. she is responsible for that the energy that she brings to that scene is incredible so i know she's capable of it i like i said i just think it's this a thing that she relies on and all, all actors have their their things and i just yeah, yeah, yeah no it's true makes that one in particular makes me a little crazy crazy all right other than that perfect movie yes love it top 10 films of all time for me <laughs> definitely top 100 